I'm not going to preach for a long time this morning. I recognise that there's something else happening uh, after the meeting. So, um, I, but I've said that before many times. So, I don't know why I said that. Really, it's pointless. I um, I've been singing away there at the front. Love those songs, Matt. They're just great. And whenever I sing, I I, seem, I find myself walking away. I, I'm here. I begin here. And I, I start singing, and somehow I end up here. And I've lost my bearings. And I'm thinking, oh, where am I? So I have to go back. Reason for that, I think, is this. I was listening to Julian Glazier. Is that how you call him? And um, lovely song. And, and that was yesterday. And I'm, I'm sat down, and, and, and Sue and I listened to it on my playlist, something. And I said, do you know, Sue, I think that... I have the same register, tonally, as Julian Glazier. <laughs> I'm sure I can sing like that. She said, we'll give it a go then. <laughs> now, there's three things I can't do. I cannot sing in tune. Number one, I, I cannot sing. That's why I move away to the front, so that nobody can hear me. I can't sing. The second thing, I cannot clap in time. We know this. I've said this before, I do not know how to clap in time. I can do this in time, but I can't do that for some strange reason. The third thing I cannot do is dance. Now, my wife taught dance, trained in dance at school, but I cannot dance. Yesterday, we were at a feat in Barton St. David, a, a carnival, and the band was playing, and in that band was Sally Ann and Tony, and it was great music. And I said to Sue, let's get up and dance. She said, with you, never. <laughs> never. But while I was singing there, I thought, you know, one day I'm going to sing in perfect pitch. One day I'm going to dance gloriously forevermore. And one day, one day I'm going to be able to clap in time. One day. But even now, when I'm singing, Jesus doesn't say, you're out of tune, Claude. When it ascends to heaven, it's beautiful and perfect. And when I dance, he doesn't say, your arms are all over the place. You're like an octopus. It, I dance perfectly with joy before the Lord. So what happens here and how it's registered in heaven, two different things entirely. I say to you, just let it go. Just let it go. Because in heaven, it's a beautiful sound. I might have been difficulty here. Do I need to do something? Do you want me to keep going? You want, what's that mean? It means go home. Oh, drop what? Don't shout. Don't want to drop. You want it there, yeah? You could have said that without all this. <laughs> I, I, I had to laugh yesterday, last week I was here, and I'm sat there. And uh, I think there was something on the projector, and Sally Ann had to go somewhere. And I've done this before, and I bet you have. And so that nobody sees her as she stands up, because she's got to go to the back, she goes like this. <laughs> as if nobody sees her. I mean, it's just amazing. If we all walked around like that, so nobody would see us, it would just be brilliant, wouldn't it? And we all do it, for some strange reason. It's wonderful. Now, I just want to say this. What we want in our lives is not more of anything other than more of Jesus. Amen. 
Jesus is everything that we will ever need for any and every situation that we will ever encounter in this life. Doesn't matter how grave it is, how difficult it is, how sad it is, how heartbreaking or heart-wrenching it is, we need Jesus. You don't need me. You don't need a pastor. You need Jesus. You don't need a counselor. You need Jesus. The counselor leads you to Jesus. Brilliant. If the pastor leads you to Jesus, brilliant. But we are not the answer. He is. Hallelujah. And he's the same for every one of us. All we need is Jesus. I'm going to read to you a passage from the Bible. I'm shouting now. I was talking to somebody who'd uh, uh, talking to them about the marriage uh, a couple of uh, uh, weeks ago. And I said, the challenge is this. It's not that you're married. It's how you live in your marriage. Issue over here is it's not that you're a Christian, it's how you live as a Christian. It's the issue. And when you're living as a Christian, things begin to fall into place. Things begin to work out according to the Holy Spirit and the plan that God has for our life. This is a passage I'm going to read it from Galatians. Now, I'm only going to reference this because next week I'm preaching again. Next week I'm preaching again, and I'll get into it next week. So I'm trying to keep it short this week. All right. This is this is called this passage is called "Life by the Spirit," and I want to begin it by just reading to you from Galatians five. But I think I'll, I'll pick it up at thirteen. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Free. Now, I was driving home from street. I don't know why I don't live at street rather than Cheddar because we're always at street every single day. I was driving home from street and coming across the, the, the levels when all the traffic stopped. And about four ahead, beyond this tractor, I saw that there were cattle all queuing up to come out onto the main road. And they all came out onto the main road. So traffic stopped now in both directions. And so I'm watching. And I'm thinking, are they going to come this way? Are they going to go that way? I can't quite see. Then, all of a sudden, I see in a field beyond the field that they were in previously, cows running for their life and skipping around the field. This open field, new grass, fresh grass. They were free. And I thought, wow, isn't that what it is to be free? Isn't it we should skip and jump and run with joy because we have been chosen in God to be sons and heirs and daughters of him. Brilliant. I went on, uh, I went uh, last Thursday. Now, you know I ride a motorbike sometimes. In my head I do, but the truth is it never comes out. I just look at it like this in the garage. Anyway. On Thursday night in Western Supermare, begins at six o'clock, there is what they call bike night. And I go to bike night sometimes, I haven't been for three years. So last week we said, we'll go to bike night and then I know a little fish and chip shop that sells the most beautiful chips and the most gorgeous curry sauce to dip your chips in, known to man. They are famous. Now I can't tell you where it is, otherwise I'll have to kill you. But it's in Western Supermare. 
And uh, so we went along. And the thing I like the motorbikes is this, is every motorbike is just not like another. They're painted differently, they're a different shape, they've got different fittings in. They're not the same. They are individuals. And all the bikers are strange people. They're slightly eccentric, every one of them, because they're really into the bikes. There are 1,500 motorbikes on the beach lawns. And when they start up, it's deafening, absolutely deafening. 1,500 come from all around the country to it, or on the West Country anyway, just so they can park their motorbike on the seafront and stand back and look at it. And people like me go working along, and I look at it. 1,500, and they all pay a pound to get there. And I said to Sue, they come from everywhere just because of their hobby. We have such a difficulty getting people to come to church. These travel everywhere for the love of motorbikes. I'll travel anywhere for the love of Jesus. And for true fellowship amongst the saints. Anything that feeds our spirits. So, there's an eccentricity amongst bikers. And there's also an individuality and eccentricity, I find, amongst most Christians as well. Because we're all different. But we're all worshipping the one God. And I like it. I like it. I tried to sit down the other day and spell shenanigans. And I was writing me notes, shenanigans. And I thought, how do you spell shenanigans? So I said to Sue, how do you spell shenanigans? So, well, I don't know. And I came up with about eight ways we spell shenanigans. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, everybody's got a different idea. It's like shenanigans. I have been to every, and, and I bet you have Dave, and, and, and others here, David, I bet you have, I've been to every seminar on the Holy Spirit that I could manage to get to. I've given more than enough seminars about the Holy Spirit. I've been to conferences on healing, demonization, inner healing, gifts of the Spirit, fruits of the Spirit. I've been to them all. Time after time, I've listened to the tapes, I've seen the videos. For 50 years of my life, I've been in the ministry. I was brought up in a Pentecostal church. I've lived my life around Pentecostal people, charismatic churches. I spent my life. I have seen the good. Listen to this I've seen the bad. And I've seen the ugly. And I've seen the forbidden. All within that circle. Let me just tell you something. I'm going to talk about gifts, but I'm going to, no fruit. But the gifts of the Spirit are simply this. This is the use of the gifts of the Spirit to spend so long and make it so complicated. The end product will tell you whether you're actually operating in gift. The gifts of the Spirit so that we might look up. Don't look at the gift bearer. It leads you to Jesus. You look up. You build up. And you cheer up. That's what the gifts are for. Looking up. Building up. Cheering up. 
If they don't achieve those objectives, it's not a gift. The fruit of the Spirit, equally simple. The fruit of the Spirit, fruit, remember, food. Fruit of the Spirit, so that I might grow up. So that I might get up and display the fruit and give the fruit away. So that I might myself feed up and feed others. The gifts and the fruit are not this ethereal thing. They are just aids to the church of Jesus Christ. When I was, uh, I was in the bank the other day in street again. All my stories are around street. And I went for a haircut. Do you notice it? Went for a haircut. I think it's beautiful myself. Anyway, I went in. And as I'm in the, as I'm sat down on the seat, having my haircut. And he's cutting my hair. I'm looking through the mirror. And be, look, as I'm looking through the, a guy walks dressed in black with a T-shirt and a gold chain around his neck and something on his T-shirt. He got black jeans on. It was the same shape as Dave here. And anyway, I'm not making any comment, incidentally, about that. I'm just, for example. And he walks in. And he walks up to the other two hairdressers who are sat doing nothing, because I'm the only customer. And they're sat doing nothing. And he said, uh, I can't do this in an Italian accent, so I'll have to do it in a Yorkshire accent. I've come come for my sunglasses. And they said, oh, really? You usually go in for a haircut, don't you? He's come for his sunglasses. He says, well, uh, have you left them here? And they said, yes, we have. He said, I have. I've left them here. And he said, well, I'll go next door and I'll bring out some sunglasses. People generally leave them here and see. So he went back door, went to the back, brought out his sunglasses. Are there these? And the man said, no. It's again, no. Again, no. He said, well, when did you leave them? He said, six months ago. He said, six months, it was winter. Six months ago, it's winter. It said, but is, this guy is looking aggressive, and everybody's a bit afraid of him, I can tell that. And, it, and he said, well, uh, he says, well, you've got them. He said, well, they're not here. He says, was the boss here? When he, yes, the boss was here. He said, right. And the guy cutting my hair, he said, well, what did they look like? He said, sunglasses, stupid. And... There's this big guy, and all of a sudden then, he turns out, and he walks out, and he said, I'll be back. Well, the people are terrified of this guy. Turns out he's an Italian guy, and he's a property owner in street. Italian property owner, mafia. Simples. So I said, finish me here, I'm going fast. He'll return with shotguns. I know it. I'm gone. Second thing, I came out of there and I went into the bank. I mean, life is so strange, isn't it? And this literally happened. Not that the first story didn't happen, it did. But this one literally happened as well. I joined the queue because I got to pay some money into the bank. And it's a long queue. And before me, there's an older lady 
They're older than me, and she's hobbling up, and she's got uh, probably a son by her or a, 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 a nephew or something. And she's hobbling up, and she goes, we waited must about a quarter of an hour to get to the till. We get to the till, and the person said to her, yes, can I help you? And she said, well, you can, she said. She said, but, but I've tried to get some money out of the machine, and it won't work. And she said, well, did you put your card in? Yes, it won't work. She said, oh, the machine's not working. No, the machine's working because it keeps giving me card back. It's the wall that's not working. It's the wall that's wrong. <laughs> the wall at Lloyd's Bank, apparently. <laughs> in street, don't put your money in there. There's something wrong with the wall. <laughs> and she says, no, there's nothing wrong with the wall. The wall's just the wall. I, 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 I'll have to take you out and well, I'll give you some money here. And I thought, it's just amazing the kind of people that you meet and the things that happen. And so it is in church life. It's amazing. I want to tell you before I start talking about words from God, I have a file at home of words from God that has been spoken to me about me or about other people or about our church or about our denomination. I've got a file literally in letters that thick. My words from God, my words from God, one page. All the others are words from God. Do you know, somebody came up to me when I was, when I was pioneering Cheddar Church. And there's a few of us sat in, in a little circle. And there's this guy next to me who just joined the church. And we're doing a little Bible study. He says, before we start this Bible study, he says, I've got something I want to bring to you. He said, I've been reading through the book of Acts. Yeah, that's absolutely fine. And he said, Paul got shipwrecked. Yeah, he did, he did, he did. And he said, this is the word from God. That when he got shipwrecked, he got shipwrecked on the island of Claudia. And then he pointed to me, sat next to him. And now he's just pioneering this church. He said, this man, don't follow him. He is the island of Claudia. You will shipwreck yourself. And I'm sat there, innocent as anything. That word from God. I had another word from God from a certain person in that same church. And if I'd have believed that word, which I nearly did, I'd be traveling the world. I'd be driving a Jaguar. You know, I'd, be, I'd got my own jet plane. I'd have everything. If I'd have believed that word, that same person about five months later, got another word from God for me. And the word from God is, you are a buffoon. Now, I held on to that. <laughs> I held on to it. Because this is why, I'm not very educated, but I thought a buffoon was a monkey. And I thought, is that God saying, you're a right monkey, you are. That's what my mother used to say to me. And anyway... Not so long ago, this was after years, I thought I'll look up buffoon on the internet. And so I went on the internet, and, and it's not a monkey. It's a clown. It's a clown. So I thought, I've never heard that before. Buffoon's a clown. I'll go on to the images, and I pressed on the images, and there were picture after picture after picture. Boris Johnson. Buffoon. <laughs> I'm a Boris Johnson. <laughs> 
people operating in gift. Cheering up, no. Blessing up, no. Leading up, no. I've had so, 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 so many words. Do I believe in words from God? I do believe in words from God. But I will only, only use a word from God on the basis that I think this might be a word from God. And I was taught I never use the first person to say this is a word from God. Because then there's no question. Maybe a word from God. But I will not use a word that I might think is from God unless I have checked that out. And I'll share with one that, one that's nearest to me. I'll share it with my wife. And if I'm in a church and it's a pastor, I'll go to the pastor. Because it's their responsibility. People will come to me with their words from God. And they want me to give it on a Sunday morning. Words from God. I say, no, I need to check it out. If you don't let me check it out, that means I've got to check it out as you give it on a Sunday morning. And you don't want me to judge it on a Sunday morning. But the Bible says I've got to, I have got to judge it. So give it to me. Let me ponder. Let me take time. Let me take care. And then I feel it's appropriate. We'll do that next week. If not, it doesn't mean it's not a word. Because, and this is true, the times I've been counselling or mentoring whatever I do in life, that very word that's given to me has been applicable to somebody that I've been pastoring. Not for the whole church at all. You know, but still a word from God. So there's a lot that goes behind it. it it's not automatic mouth. I'll tell you what annoys me a little bit. What annoys me is when I put together a message, you wouldn't believe it, of this message this morning, I spend at least eight hours working on it, and I don't know how many hours thinking about it during the week. So for me to get something that I think might be a word from God, it's darn hard work. David, Dave, darn hard work. We just don't turn up thinking about it before we come. We put hours and hours and hours into it. I wish the word from God was as easy as it is for some others. We can just come any which way and stand up and give a word from God. Now that does happen. But they're surrounded by danger. That's got to be checked out before it can go into the church and enrich the church. Because if it's a word from God, it can wait. If it's a word from God, it can mature. If it's a word from God... Anyway, I'm not talking about that. I, uh, I want to take you to another scripture. Oh, I'll read you this. I haven't read the scripture. Read so I say, so I say, verse 14, walk by the Spirit. And that's why he has made us free. It begins with free. I have made you free. We are free. Free. We can leap around the park full of joy, and walk by the Spirit. That's our privilege, to walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. We'll talk about that next week. For the flesh desires what's contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what's contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, and always will be. The flesh and the Spirit 
in conflict with one another. This is why we need judgment. This is why we need maturity. This is why we need teaching. This is why we need counseling. What's of flesh? What's of the spirit? And they're not friends. They're at war with one another. And the biggest presence in me is the flesh. There is the spirit of God. There's a demonic spirit. And there is my spirit. And the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is at war with my flesh. And my flesh is at war with it. So I really need to be walking close to the Spirit to operate in the Spirit. And I need to be able to discern what is of the flesh, what is of demonic, and what is of God. And only what is of God will do for God's people. Hear that? It's got to go through the filter of the canon of Scripture, study, prayer, counsel, maturity, experience for the church. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want, even though you're free. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Time. Uh, The things I can't say because this is taped. I was pastoring a church... And a very well-known evangelist, preacher, teacher, came. Dave, Dave will know exactly what I'm talking about, if I mention the name. Came to my church to preach. We put on this special thing, and he came. This guy taught us in our conferences about how to move and operate in the gifts of the Spirit within the community of the church, and with open services, Sunday mornings, and so on, and how to affect words of knowledge, and so on. And this guy, super guy, came to my church. What a powerful communicator. What a great preacher. What a man who actually did operate in this way. So he'd be here this morning and he would point out and he'd have a word for you. And so on. Came to my church, church packed. And uh, we had a guy in the church who was totally deaf. And um, he's just about to get married. Lovely girl. And at the end of the service, he uh, asked if anybody wanted prayer. This guy came up and he pulled him onto the platform and people gathered around him, started praying for him. The guy who was leading the meeting, praying for him and declaring him healed. Well, the congregation went wild. We have actually witnessed someone who was stone deaf, now healed. Well, we're dancing up and down, leaping like calves. Well, it all died down, other stuff happened, and everybody went home having a great time. There's only one person in that place who didn't have a great time. That was a guy who was stone deaf, who was still stone deaf. I had to explain that to the church the following weeks, that this poor guy hadn't been healed but it being proclaimed as healed. That guy went around the country doing similar things in many charismatic and Pentecostal churches. Discovered that guy was living an immoral life, even though he's married. 
I've seen the good, I've seen the bad, and I've seen the ugly. And I've experienced it. It says in the Bible that many will come and cast out demons and heal the sick. And Jesus will say, depart from me. I never knew you. I love meeting people of character. I love meeting people of faith and stature and influence. One day I went to, to the church in Western Supermare and uh, deciding whether to take it on. It was just a very, very small congregation. And they'd hardly got a leadership at all. But there was one guy in the leadership called Laddie. When I walked into the room for this um, interview, it caught my eye. Now, there were three other guys around, but this one guy caught my eye. Whenever I go to a church, this is what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a man of peace or a woman of peace. The Bible talks about it. This guy was a man of peace, and I just saw it in his eye in a church that was demoralized and broken and was on the point of closure. And I thought, there's a man of peace here. And the only thing that he was interested in, only thing, only thing, he was interested in people getting saved and people getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. People come to the Lord, people getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. And he stood by my side, and I spoke at his funeral just a few weeks ago. He stood by my side for years, telling me, don't forget, preach the gospel. Tell people about Jesus. Get them saved. Then get them baptized in the Holy Spirit. Do those two things. And he used to sit at the back of the church, and as the church grew and grew and grew, uh, when I finished and I'd walk down, he'd look at me. And if he didn't agree, he thought I'd been a buffoon. He'd go... And if I'd done well, he'd go like that. Great man, man of character, people of stature. Some things I know, I know this, and this is fixed. I believe in the Bible as God's word. 70 odd years of age, I've come to the conclusion, I believe in the Bible as God's word. I believe that I am saved as a sinner and I am born again. Hallelujah. I know it. I know it. I believe that there is only one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. With all my heart, I believe it. And I believe that He alone created the world and He was the giver of life. I know that Jesus came and died for my sins and He rose again. This I know. I know that Jesus came and died for my sins and he rose again. I know that he sent the Holy Spirit to convict the world of sin, to fill us with his spirit. I know it. How do I know it? How do I know all these things in this mixed up world? How do I know it in this world of individuality? I know it. I don't know how I know it. I can't prove it to anybody. I can't explain it to anybody. I can't even, I cannot do an academic paper and say, there, that's a proof of God. I know it somewhere in there. 
I know it deep within my knower. I am this compelled to know it. it it's impelling. It, it bleeds out of me. And I don't need any more education. I don't need to read any more books to prove it. I don't need any more seminars. I don't know any more discussion. I know it. I know it. I believe. Oh, right. Only three minutes. Or six. This is where I believe the church is. I may have said this before, but this is, this is my model of church. I believe that this is nothing more than the farmhouse. It's a farmhouse. Where, why do we have a farmhouse? We have a farmhouse because a farmhouse generally is surrounded by fields. Fields and fields and fields and hills and hills. Well, here it is. This is a farmhouse. And out there are the fields. And what are we all doing? We're supposed to be brothers and sisters. Oh, we live in the farmhouse. We come back to the farmhouse as workers that work in the field... Tired now, hungry now, a bit discouraged now. We've been out in the wet and so on, and we come back into the farmhouse and meet the family and meet our parents, the host. That's the church. This is where we are fed. This is where we are blessed. This is where we are nourished. This is where we're encouraged. This is where we have fun. We have great joy and wonderful friendships. And then we go back out into the field. Where the work is, the real work is. It's not in here. I'm working in here. We go out there and we do some work in the fields. And I think that distinction is really, really important. And I believe that my job as a pastor is this, to get everybody in the farmhouse to heaven. We're all on that journey. In fact, let me talk about journeys for a minute, because everybody talks about journeys. There's only two journeys. There's a journey to the door, and there's a journey beyond the door. The journey, I don't have a journey into faith. I have a journey to the door, and that door is Jesus Christ. And when that door is opened, I walk through, and I am saved, and I know what I know. I'm impelled by the conviction and the presence of the Holy Spirit. He is my teacher. I know. And the journey then is beyond it. So we don't morph into faith. We don't morph through this journey gently into Christian faith. It's binary. It's one or it's the other. It's my job then to provide in the farmhouse. My second job is this, to equip, we'll agree with this, every person in the farmhouse, equip them to do the work of the ministry in the field. So my vision is, I don't come into a church as a pastor and say, now this is my vision, forget what's happened last, this is my vision, you know, forget their history, this is my vision. And so everybody says, oh, follow the pastor's vision. No, I've only got one vision, and my vision is to know what your vision is. Because you're in the field. There are teachers, there are nurses, there are doctors, there are wives, there are husbands, there are parents, there are mechanics, there are plumbers, electricians, 
That is your ministry field. And my job is to make sure they are blessed and built up and encouraged and ready to go back to the task. And how to be parents. How to be children of parents. My job is to do that. My vision is your vision. That's how it works. Now, I'm shutting up now, but I am going to give you one more scripture, which is what I was going to preach about anyway. It's this one, isn't it? Listen to this, you'll love this. How do you live to please God? So if you're going to be people of the Spirit, let's get this one right first. Let's get it right. Pentecostal people, charismatic people, let's get this one right. For each one of you who are living to please God should learn to control your own body in a way that's holy and honorable. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject human instruction, but God's. Wow. The very God who gives you the Holy Spirit. The very God who gives you the Holy Spirit. The very God that gives you me, charismatic Pentecostal people, the Holy Spirit has got something to say to us. Let's listen to it. We urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more and make it your ambition. Now we're talking ambition. I had, I had an ambition to be a millionaire by the time I was 30. The reverse happened. I was skinned. Hadn't got any better either. Make it your ambition to live, lead a quiet life. All these individuals, all these motorbikers, they're a bit eccentric, all with individual motorbikes, us with all our individuality and sense of self and self of who I am and who I am, why don't we just begin to live a quiet life? Does God want me to live a quiet life? Yes, live a quiet life. I was talking to somebody the other day, I was actually just passing on some counsel and constantly they got the phone out and they were looking at the phone, looking at the phone, look at the phone. Nothing on the phone, just looking at it. It's a habit. It's like smokers have a habit. You know, I can relax when I've got something in my fingers. You know, it's got something in my fingers. You know, it's that kind of sit down and have a talk, have a cig. Just the habit, the habit of the phone, and led by the internet and led by TikTok and everything else find a quiet life and lead it stop being so shouty stop being so opinionated stop reckoning we know everything live a quiet life and, and, and this is something this is a verse of scripture I want you all to put in your fridges mind your own business don't preach on that very often do we Live a quiet life and mind your own business. Now there's a definite line here between being involved in mother's lives 
and assisting and helping one another. I was mentoring a young pastor just the other day and the stuff I had to ask him and he was talking to me and so on. And there's a fine line between it becoming my business and staying his business. We don't have the mandate to trample over everybody's territory to find out. I have had people in church life, people of the spirit, and they're like the Wells and Western Gazette. If you told them anything, it'd go everywhere. There's a skill in minding your own business. It's a godly principle. Mind your own business. And when I'm listening to this mentor telling me all kinds of stuff, I know that it stops there. And I don't go into that anymore. That's me minding my own business. Live a quiet life. Mind your own business. And I like this bit, because I do not like lazy people. Work with your hands. As you'll be... God loves a workman. He loves builders. He loves people who works with their hands, people who achieve things, people who do things, building one another's lives, building the church of Jesus Christ, working with our hands, working with our hands in the practical level. I was, yesterday I was, it was too hot. And so, and I thought, and I got this message, which I haven't started preaching yet, um, on my mind, and I thought, I just got, I've got to, got to clear my head. So I went into the garage and I got my ham and I started hitting things. Just started doing something practical. Bang, trying to fix something. Bang, 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 bang. Went back a lot better. When I was in college, we were forced to, we were made to do practical work for two hours every day. My job was mending lawnmowers and fixing things that didn't work because I've got a mechanical background. That was my job. We had to do it every day. And the Wesley Gilpin, the, our great principle says, because you will need to be practical. You could be in the ministry and live a lazy life. You are not to be lazy. You work with your hands. And I'm going to show you now for the next two years, you work with your hands. And we all went out and worked on the land and worked practically and, and did it. I love people that work. I've always been a bit bivocational. And one of the reasons I was brought up in a working class society, everybody worked. If you didn't work, then you're in trouble. You had to work. It's part of the culture. It's part of your kudos. And I've always done something else as well as doing what I do here. And I do it because I know how much it costs for people to come out of an evening or to spend a couple of hours listening to me and so on. There's a big sacrifice there. And I want to know what it likes to feel tired at the end of the day, that working people feel tired at the end of the day, and yet we ask them to do so much. Work with your hands. Don't be lazy. Work with your hands. And remember that when you're working with your hands, you're working for God. Remember that when you're leaving a quiet life, don't go arguing with the neighbors and writing letters and fighting over the hedge. I came home to my house, and the neighbors in me, God, cutting it down my hedge. What are you doing? Mind your own business. It's tough getting on with your neighbours, isn't it, sometimes? Did I tell you the story? No. The dog next door bit Sue. Amazing. Praise God. It opened up the way for the Lord. Sat in their house and we were able to witness to her. But it took the dog to bite Sue for it to happen. 
This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Only repenting and returning to me and resting me will you be saved. In quietness and trust and confidence is your strength. Work with your hands just as you were told so that your daily life may win respect of outsiders so that you will not depend upon anybody. I reckon that is walking in the spirit. Next week, we will talk about the passage we're supposed to talk about. Oh, it's not there. In Galatians. God bless. Ta-da. Bye-bye.